Bust like that this morning. <laughs> but Lewis is so used to getting called out, he's like, I'm calling somebody else out. <laughs> right here from the pulpit this morning. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Alan's here. Is, uh, is Alex here this morning? Alex is back there? Okay. We have uh, a couple things that we want to give you. The Haley's Bible Handbook for Alan and for, uh, for Alex. And so... Alan, there you go. There's your copy. I believe it has uh, the, your birth certificate in there as well, so you can remember. Um, and let's also, uh, we, as we give you guys these books, congratulations. We love giving these out. Um, you can clap. It's okay. These books are great books because they'll help you to break down the scriptures. They actually go book by book uh, throughout the Bible. It gives you a lot of history there. It gives you a lot of the information uh, that gives you the background for uh, who wrote the books, why they were written in the first place, and so many other things. And so um, it is absolutely uh, awesome to have uh, two more members of the Lord's body. Uh, and so the, the body of Christ uh, continues to expand worldwide. And here at Lincoln Park, we've had many baptisms uh, uh, over the, you know, the last year. Uh, and, and we're starting out uh, 2022 with the bang. And so... Uh, we're going to keep it going. Evangelism is so very important. If you were at Bible study this morning, and I would like to encourage more of us to, to attend our 930 Bible study. Uh, it, it's a great study in the sense that uh, as we go through the Gospel of Luke, we have such good uh, uh, point-counterpoint, such good conversation. You know what I mean? So many people are, are, are involved in, in asking questions and making comments, and so it really makes for a, it really makes for a good class. Um, last week, I mentioned uh, during the announcements that after service, uh, I would like to find out if you're interested in teaching. Um, I said we'll have something afterwards. It's not a meeting, but what I'm going to ask you to do instead is you have cards in the pews in front of you. If you're interested in teaching or if you're interested in assisting uh, a teacher. Maybe you've never taught a class before, but you, you have that desire to learn uh, and you want to sit with somebody who's already teaching. Do me a favor, take your name and your phone number down, write it on the card. If you have a, a particular age group you would, you would prefer to work with, write that down as well uh, and give it to me after this worship service and that way I can pass that on to, uh, to the education committee. As we need to know, as we get ready to come back on Wednesday nights, uh, who's available to teach? Uh, and then also, too, uh, who's going to be here on Wednesday nights? What, what kids are going to be here? Uh, what age groups we need classes for? So we're trying to, uh, uh, Pat and the Education Committee are doing a good job trying to get that together. Uh, and so I just wanted to give that announcement before we get into the message here this morning. And the message, if you look on the screen behind me, is simple. It's called proper worship. Proper worship is so very important because as we gather together today, this morning, what are we doing right now? <laughs> Worshiping. And so when, when was the last time you considered worship? I mean, seriously, how, uh, when was the last time you considered how we worship? When was the last time that you considered why we worship? When was the last time that you considered what is the proper mindset for worship? I'm here to tell you that we have a little bit of a problem in the sense that I don't believe uh, worship is always proper these days. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten up to use the restroom uh, before I come up here or I go get a drink of water or do something beforehand, and you'll see adults and children uh, and teens on electronic devices. 
They're on their devices. I see people sending text messages. I see people uh, looking at email. I see people do these things. How do you, Dave, how do you see that? Well, because I walk out and I walk back in and I look. As I'm looking, I'm seeing people on their devices. In the middle of worship service. In the middle of Bible study. And so this morning's lesson is on proper worship. If you remember going back two weeks, I said I'm going to get back to the basics. And getting back to the basics really begins with uh, what is proper worship? Why do we worship? In what manner do we worship? What does God require of us as we worship him? These are all logical questions that I want us to consider because just showing up on Sunday is not good enough. It wasn't good enough in the times of, uh, of the patriarchal period as far as worship. It was, you, you couldn't just mail it in. Did God have a problem with Cain's worship versus Abel's worship? He had a problem. And there was many other individuals he had problems with over the centuries and over the millennium. And so we look at all three aspects and all three dispensations, and we see that God expected certain things during worship. And so we're going to look to answer some of the questions here this morning. What is proper worship that we see on the screen behind us? And as we look to answer those questions, we're obviously going to be going over various passages of Scripture to see uh, what, uh, what God has to say. If you have your Bibles in front of you, and I'll have some of this on the screen behind me. But if you want to earmark uh, Exodus and the Gospel of John. Exodus chapter 3, Gospel of John chapter 4. Uh, I'll have it on the screen behind me, but there are about six verses. And it's going to be a little bit uh, harder to read for some of you, especially further in the back. And so uh, Exodus chapter 3, John chapter 4, if you want to earmark that now, I would do so. And so I, I, want, I want us to ask ourselves this morning. Has worship for you just become an obligation? Dave, what do you mean by that? Has it become just an obligation? Anybody here have a job and you have to show up to work? And it, you just you show up for work Monday through Friday, it becomes like an obligation. You just kind of go through the motions, right? You got certain things you do. Same thing. Has worship become an obligation, kind of like work? Well, we show up. Uh, hopefully we get here on time. We'll try to get here on time. Uh, and, 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 and so has it become something It's just mundane, something we do because, well, this is just what we've always done. Ever since I was a child, well, my parents took me to worship, and their parents took them to worship, and it's just something we do, and we just kind of start going through the motions. And I, and I fear that in the church, not just in Lincoln Park, but in the, in the church as a whole, that worship has just become something that we do, and we don't ever really stop and really consider why we worship, who we worship, is there a proper way to worship? And that is something that I want us to touch on here this morning. So when was the last time, uh, I'll ask another question, when was the last time you were excited to come to the house of the Lord? Is this the house of the Lord? Amen. Amen. Is this where God's people are, are, are gathering together? And so I wonder how often we consider the fact that the Holy Spirit of God resides within us. Are we not the temple of God? And does the Holy Spirit reside within us? Where two or three are gathered in my name, are, is not God in our, in, in our midst? And so, do you believe that? Because if you believe that, I wonder if that would change your attitude and the spirit in which you worship God with. These are things I want us to, I want to give us some things to chew on, and I want to give us some things to think about as we move forward throughout this upcoming week. I ask these questions because worship affords us the opportunity to do what? To focus our attention upon God 
uh, whether we are rejoicing in life, whether we are struggling in life, it reminds us that God is greater and bigger than our problems. And it reminds us of our dependence upon God. We must never forget that God is worthy of worship. Besides, uh, besides being the creator of all things, is God not also the giver of every good and perfect gift? We need to remember, brethren, that our worship should be done reverently, joyously, obediently. Those are the three things that we're going to focus on here this morning. Our worship should be done reverently, joyously, obediently. Last week we focused on being faithful and giving, uh, giving back to God of our first fruits and not of our leftovers. And this week I'm going to take a step back and we're going to look at worship and why we do what we do and why it's so very important. Then we're going to move forward as, after this lesson. We realize why we worship, who we worship, the importance of worship. Then we're going to get into the various aspects of worship. We're going to get into prayer. We're going to get into, uh, we already did giving, so we're going to get into prayer. We're going to get into singing. We're going to get into the question of instrumental music. We're going to get into the, uh, why we have a message from the Word of God and other things. And so this is something that we need to uh, consider here this morning. You know, the term worship, it's found a couple times in the Bible. Did you know it's found over 100 times in the Bible? Do you think they were trying to uh, convey a message? And so... As, as it is most commonly used, as we look at the word worship, it is most commonly used as, as a way of paying homage or showing reverence to God. When you go back and you look at the Hebrew word for worship, it conveys, uh, it conveys the idea of bowing down to another. If you go back and you look at Daniel and you look at many of the other ones that we read about in prayer, did they, did they have different postures in which they pray? And not that there has to be a posture in which they pray, Many of them hit their knees and prostrated themselves and bowed their face to the ground when they prayed. And so when we think of prayer and we go back and we look in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for worship conveys uh, the idea of bowing down to one another. When we get, now we fast forward to the New Testament. And the word most frequently translated worship is derived from the term that is used to describe how ancients would bow down before those in authority and they would either kiss their feet or they would kiss the hem of their garments. That is how it would, that, so we look at the Hebrew aspect, we look at the Koine Greek, the Koine Greek aspect, and so we look at Old and New Testament and how the word worship was done or, or, or how it was defined. And although both terms refer to an outward action, we also need to remember that biblical worship uh, requires an eternal devotion. It requires a worship of the heart, the mind, and, 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 and of, of, of the proper spirits. So what is my point here this morning with even bringing this up? Is it enough to just bow and praise God outwardly if we're just going through the motions? Is it, it's not enough to just go through the motions, brethren. We must make sure that as we worship God, we worship him with the proper spirits and in the proper way. We must also bow and praise him in, in our hearts. And not just in, in, our, in, our, in our souls, or not just in, uh, outwardly. I want us to think about Matthew chapter 15 for a moment. Because Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 15, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then it makes me think of John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, if you remember the conversation, and I told you to mark this earlier, we're not going to look at it now, we'll, 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 we'll get to that in a, in, in a few minutes. But in John chapter 4 and verse 24, God in the conversation with the Samaritan lady at the well said, God is spirit and those 
who worship him, what does it say? Must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's two aspects. It's not one or the other. It's not just outward devotion without inward devotion. No, it's in spirit, the right heart condition, the right mindset. And that's what in spirit means, to have the right attitude. How can I have the right attitude of, in worship to God if I'm not even paying attention? If I'm playing on my phone, if I'm sending emails, if I'm checking emails, if I'm sending text messages, if I'm playing games. If you don't believe me that that happens, every once in a while, get up and go to the bathroom, come back in. You'll see it. And it's not just Lincoln Park. And so it's not like I'm just beating up on Lincoln Park. I've seen it in every congregation I've ever worshipped in. It's a problem we have here in the 21st century. That we, have, we struggle to set aside even an hour to focus in with our heart, our mind, and our soul to worship God both with the right spirit and according to the truth of God's word. How God expects us to worship. And the reason why I bring that up and I bring up the electronics is, is there vain worship? You see, because in Matthew chapter 15 and in Mark chapter 7, when Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are, are far from me, he then goes on to say, your worship is worthless in my sight. It's worthless. Why did you even come? Did you come to, uh, out of obligation, because this is just something we do? Or did you come with the right heart condition, the right spirit, because I desire to worship my creator? The one who gives me all things. The one who I'm fully dependent on. Is that your mindset? Or is your mindset as well? This is what we do on Sunday morning. It's what my family's always done on Sunday morning. And so here I am on Sunday morning. Can we hurry up and get this over with? Brethren, our heart and our, our mindset and how we worship God, the attitude in which we worship God is just as important as the actual acts of worship that we do. Prayer, singing, Lord's Supper, giving, hearing a message from the Word of God. And if the church does anything, it should worship. And thus we assemble here on the first day of the week to worship God. And therefore we come together and we make sure that our focus is on God rather than ourselves. How many times have you guys heard me offer a prayer up after Bible study, if you're here on Sunday morning for Bible study, and I often say this, Lord, I pray that our worship is acceptable in your eyes. Why do I even have to say that? Because it's not always acceptable in his eyes. Not everybody's worship is acceptable in God's eyes. And if you think it is, you're just fooling yourself. Because you, understand, you don't understand what the scriptures actually teach. And so when we look at this, brethren, at worship, there is an audience of how many? There's an audience of one, and we are all active participants in the worship of God, who is, a, who is in our midst here this morning. And if God uh, was going to speak uh, verbally right now, he'd probably say Amen. Because it is he who we worship here this morning. There's an audience of one. And instead, worship is a necessary component of our spiritual health. We need to realize that our spiritual health is benefited by true and reverent worship unto God. Worship is supposed to be a humbling and thrilling experience uh, that, we, that we do to express our thanks unto God. And so, why do we come together for worship? A, because the Lord asks us to. He commands that we come together on the first day of the week to worship him in spirit and truth. So why do we come? Because God requires it of us. But do we just come because God requires, of it, uh, requires it of us? Or should we come with an, uh, with an attitude of thanksgiving in our hearts? Have you ever thought about that aspect of it? Remember, worship 
should be a privilege. Worship should be a privilege and not an obligation. Do not worry, or, or, or we don't worship God because he depends on it. Because I think of what the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 17 and verse 25. And it says on the screen behind me, Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything from us, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Brothers and sisters, the attitudes that we possess when worshiping God should reflect an understanding of God's exalted position. Instead of uh, being overly casual in our approach, I would, I would encourage each and every one of us to approach God and to approach worship with reverence. Do we understand the idea of reverence? As, as the creator and sustainer of all things, is God worthy of respect? As the creator and sustainer of all things, is he worthy of our worship? The recognition will affect not only our attitudes, but it will affect the actions in which we carry out our worship. Also, if we truly respect God, we will worship him only as he directs. Why is that important? Well, that's important because traditions must be laid aside. Cultural trends must be ignored because it doesn't matter what you want. It only matters what God wants. It only matters what God desires. He gives us specific instructions as to how he is to be worshipped. So we don't get to do whatever we want. I would rather have a cheeseburger and a malt shake for the Lord's Supper, but that's not what I get. It would be fantastic, but that's not what happens. We get the bread and the fruit of the vine. Why? Because that is what the Lord, that is what the Lord commands. And so, brothers and sisters, we look at this here this morning. True worship is not conducted to satisfy the appetites of men. And yet, many Christian denominations, even some of the Lord's church, have turned worship into the idea that we have to satisfy the appetites, the desires of our, of our congregation, and so we start to adulterate the worship. We start to pervert worship by adding things in that God has not, God has not commanded us to do. And although Christians benefit greatly from pouring out our hearts out to God through song and through prayer and other uh, authorized uh, aspects of worship, we must never lose sight of why we ultimately worship in the first place. Because God is the proper object. He is the proper object of our worship, and he alone mandates what we do in worship and how we do it. And to deviate from God's plan is an act of rebellion. Do you believe that? To deviate from God's plan is an act of rebellion. Do you believe that? You can say yes. You can say amen. Because, brethren, I'm here to tell you not all Christians believe that deviating from God's command is an act of rebellion. They say, well, God has given me some of these various gifts and talents. Surely I should use it to praise his holy name. Sure, go ahead and use them. Just not during corporate worship. You can find other ways to praise God with those gifts and talents. God himself gets to dictate and mandate what is considered acceptable in his sight. And to deviate from that is rebellion. Brethren, we must never place our desires for recreating worship over God's instructions on how he wishes to be worshipped. To worship God acceptably, one must engage both the mind and the body. And so that is the crux of what we're going to look at here this morning. We're going to look at how we can uh, worship God reverently, joyfully, and obediently. And this morning we're going to start in Exodus chapter 3. So if your Bible is earmarked to that, as, as I said earlier, 
Exodus chapter 3. I want us to look at the first six verses of Exodus chapter 3. Because this is going to give us a story of uh, Moses when he comes across the burning bush. And I want us to uh, recognize something that we're going to see in this passage of scripture here this morning. Exodus chapter 3 starting in verse 1 says this. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, and yet the, the bush wasn't being consumed. And so Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous, this marvelous sight, why the bush is not being burned up. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him in the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am, Lord. Then he said, Do not come, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to even look upon the Lord. Brothers and sisters, as we worship God here this morning, and as we worship God in general, we should keep Moses' encounter with the burning bush in mind. Why? Because the reverence, the reverence that man needs before, when he stands in God's presence is beautifully stated in the passage of Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Because he needed to see there's this bush on fire, and yet the bush isn't consumed by the fire. I must go look at this. And as he, as he approaches it, he hears God speak to him from the bush. And he says, come, no, come, uh, do not come any closer. Why? Because the land that you are standing on is holy ground. Not because of the land or anything about the land, because of the presence of God in that place. And so he had him remove his sandals, which in that culture was a, was a sign of respect. It was a sign of honor. And so he worshiped God with reverence. And he was afraid to even look up once he realized it was the Lord. Brothers and sisters, because God is holy, we must never seek to worship him in a manner that is lacking reverence. Our mindsets and our conduct should reflect our understanding of his position. And although we have some liberty to decide what we wear to worship and to the worship assembly, we are not free to wear anything that would show a lack of respect unto God. And I'm going to touch more on that here in a future lesson as I, as I preach on modesty. But we need to understand that it's not about the dress, but it's, it's in dressing in a manner that is reverent, a manner that shows your reverence for God. And so, as we continue to look at this, brethren, perhaps the explanation of uh, provided by God after the deaths of Nadab and Abihu, God powerfully stated this, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all people, I must be glorified. He tells us in Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 3. I don't have a slide for that to put behind me. But Leviticus 10 and 3, you can mark that later. To all who come before me, I must be regarded as holy. And all people, uh, and before all people, I must be glorified. So think about the idea that God is within our midst, where two or three are gathered in my name, two or more are gathered, there I am amongst their midst. Brethren, to worship God without a spirit of reverence would be like Moses refusing to remove his sandals. Before Moses even uh, being afraid to even look upon the Lord. 
You see, brethren, we need to understand that this requires us as, a, as, us as believers to relinquish our preferences for the types of various aspects of worship. Why do you think I would say that we have to relinquish our preferences for the various acts or types of worship that we engage in? Because in order to fully submit ourselves to God and to his will for, uh, for his will for worship, we must humbly submit to God. I cannot humbly submit to God if I desire my will over God's will. If God says, this is what I want, and this is how I desire to be worshipped, and I say like Nadab and Abihu, hey, I know that uh, he gave me certain instructions to offer fire before the Lord, but I bet you if I add a little spice to it, he's going to be pleased. Who doesn't like a little incense? And all of a sudden, fire comes down from heaven and strikes him dead on the spot. Why? Did God give specific instructions? And did he expect those specific instructions to be followed? In the New Testament, God gives us specific instructions. Remember, Jesus says in Matthew 15 and Mark 7, these people honor me with their lips and yet their hearts are far from me. He says your worship is worthless. Why? Because you are more pleased with obeying the commands of man than you are with obeying the commands of God. So you see, brothers and sisters, we, we need to make sure that we humbly submit in reverence to God. And now I'm going to turn my attention to joyfully. I said reverently, joyously, and obediently. And as we think of joyfully, brethren, because worship is a privilege and this is not a burden that we show up here on Sunday, it should thrill our souls to have the opportunity to properly stand before God and to lift, his, uh, voice, uh, lift our voices up in praise to God, to hear a message from the Word of God, to, to do all things to the glory of God. I want us to focus our attention now on, as we think of joyfully, I want us to go back to the book of Psalms and Psalm 100, and I'll have these on the screen behind me. I want you to notice what Psalm 100 and verse 1 and 2 says. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Brothers and sisters, rather than admonishing fellow Christians to worship God out of obligation, this passage describes the need to worship God in a joyful manner. The context of verse 1 and 2 is unmistakably one of happiness. And so much so that we should shout for joy. The idea that we get to come before God and worship him and glorify his great and holy name. For an explanation of joy one, and, how to, and how it must be characterized, one only needs to further go along and evaluate the other three verses of Psalm 100. So when you look at verse 3 on the screen behind me, it says, Know that Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us. And not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The argument being made here is very clear. We should joyfully worship God because of the position that God occupies. Is God creator God? Has God created all things including us and provides for all of our needs? God is Lord, the one who, uh, who rightly directs our steps. He is the creator. He is the one who knows your every need before you ever even ask him. He is our shepherd. He is the one that provides for us, and he is the one that protects us. He is the one that places the hedge of protection around us. Not to say you'll never have struggles. Not to say you'll never have uh, sickness or illness or disease. But spiritually speaking, God has, uh, has placed a hedge of protection around his people. And so we reverently and joyfully worship him. Because of who he is. 
Brothers and sisters, it makes me think of Matthew 18 and 20. For where two or more are gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. I know I've mentioned that multiple times, but I truly believe many of us forget that verse. We forget that God is truly in our midst when we worship him. Because if we truly believed that God was in our midst, we wouldn't do some of the things we wouldn't do. Or that we do. We wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't, uh, uh, we wouldn't start to just uh, lose our focus if we truly believe that God was in our midst. As we worship uh, God, brethren, who is in our midst, and don't forget that when we have been baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God knows exactly who shows up and goes through the motions. Who here has read some of the New Testament? Hopefully all of us have read the New Testament. But when you read the New Testament, did Jesus happen to know the hearts and the minds of the people? Did he know what they were thinking? How do you think he was able to uh, give the right parable in the right situation every single time? Because he knows your heart. He knows your mind. And if God is in our midst, do you think he probably knows who's just mailing it in? Do you think he knows who's just going through the motions? And do you think your worship would be acceptable to him who knows all things? You see, brethren, I'm not trying to blame who's doing what. I'm trying to just give us the information that shows how we are to worship God in spirit and in truth and what proper worship actually looks like according to the Holy Scriptures. And then I continue on, and I see how Psalm 100 concludes. And in verse 4 and 5 of Psalm 100, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Remember, reverence joyfully. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to God and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his loving, uh, loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness goes out to all generations. Brothers and sisters, knowing that God is willing to extend his mercy to us, this provides us with an even greater incentive to praise his holy name. It reminds me and it makes me think of why King David said what he said when he wrote Psalm 122 and verse 1. He says, I was glad when they said to me, what? Let us go to the house of the Lord. Why was he glad? He was glad because he knows how much God has done for him. He knows how much God has blessed him with. He knows that he owes God everything. He owes him because he's washed away his sins. He's taken away his sins. He's taken away the separation that, is, that sin causes between a holy and righteous God and between the individual. We too have had our sins washed away. We too receive God's full grace, mercy, and love consistently, regularly, daily. So why do we worship God with reverence and joy? Because of who he is. Because of what he does. And I close the lesson with the last section, and that's on obedience. Brethren, obedient worship is absolutely a must. Let's start this section by breaking down a conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. I asked you to flip over to John chapter 4 earlier, so if you have your Bibles already there, notice with John chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 19. I know it starts a couple of verses earlier, but verses 19 through 26 is what I want us to focus on in this conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman at the well. And in this conversation, starting in verse 19 of chapter 4, it says this. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. 
And Jesus said to the woman, he says, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. For you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Remember 23 and 24. It tells us that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God seeks out individuals who are willing to put their heart into it. Who are willing to put their mind and their soul into it. And not just go through the motions. It has to be outward action done with the proper mindset and the proper attitude. And in verse 25 and 26, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare to us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I probably would have passed out. I mean, think about it. I who speak to you am he. Can you imagine her mind would have been blowing? She would have been like, what? Well, in order to fully understand that and how this conversation got to verses 19 through 26, in the beginning, Jesus says, hey, I need a drink of water. I'm really thirsty. Would you please give me a drink of water? Paraphrasing, obviously. And Jesus, and she says to Jesus, you being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans hated one another. And last time I checked it, Jewish men didn't talk to strange women. And so the Samaritan woman's like all confused. And then he said, hey, go and call your husband. Even though the one you have now is not your husband because you had four or five other husbands before this one. And that's why she says in verse 19, I, I perceive that you may be a prophet. You see, it was easier to switch the concept, it was easier to switch the conversation to worship than to deal with the conversation of my sexual immorality and all the people I've been with. And so she switches the conversation to one about worship. Well, hey, you Jews say we should worship here. And then all of a sudden you see the context in which Jesus continues the conversation. Brethren, the passages that we looked at thus far show reverence and joyous praise. This conversation that Jesus had with this woman at the well in Samaria, it reveals that God must be worshipped only in an authorized manner. How do I know that? You don't have to answer because we're in the middle of, the, uh, of worship. But how do I know that this passage of scripture authorizes a particular type of worship? Because Jesus said that those who worship God must worship in spirits and truth. And it is such worshipers that God seeks to be his worshipers. Right? An hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For he seeks out such individuals. Guess who those individuals are? Me and you. And the rest of the Lord's church throughout the world. Because when did the church begin? On the day of Pentecost. Did God give specific instructions? Are there letters that were written to the church in order to deal with all the various problems and situations that were coming up and that were arising? Absolutely. And you find those in the New Testaments. Notice that worship involved more than just the right location. She was concerned with the location. Jesus wasn't concerned with the location. He, he says, even though, yes, the Jews are right at this time, there's going to come a time, and it now is. Because Jesus had come to bring the church. Jesus had come to begin the kingdom. And those who worship God in a pleasing manner will obey God with the humble hearts. 
And Jesus proclaimed in verse 24, as I continue to say, those who worship him do so with the right mindset, the right heart condition, the right attitude. That's in spirit. And truth simply means according to his word. Brethren, this section, uh, this section on obedience and, and, and worshiping obediently, it's really super simple. It's not that difficult. You either do what God asks you to do or you don't. You either, you either do and, and perform the various acts of worship that God has ordained and that he has commanded, or you don't. You'll either be pleasing in his sight, or you won't. Is that difficult? And yet, so many people struggle with this idea of worshiping God obediently. It's not enough for an individual to worship in any manner he sees fit. Because I don't see in Scripture, when I read the New Testament, that I get to just do whatever I want and God will be pleased with what I call worship. Was God pleased with Nadab and Abihu? I wonder if when God said to, said to, said to Noah, hey, I need you to build a boat and I want you to use uh, this gopher wood. You know, I really like gopher wood. It's, it's a good wood, but man, I really like walnuts. And so I'm going to go with walnuts. I wonder how that would have worked out for him. I wonder if that boat would have floated. You see, brethren, there's lots of examples you could give. And so we're going to continue to look at the various aspects of worship as we go through this. So what have we, have, what have we learned here this morning before we close this lesson down? Our worship should be done reverently. It should be done joyously. And it should be done obediently. Because God, the creator of all things, deserves nothing less. So what is required for God or by God in New Testament worship. Prayer, singing, giving, Lord's Supper, hearing a message from the Word of God. All things in which we have done this day. Anything else included in acts of worship outside of the things that I just mentioned are for man's benefit and not for God's benefit. Let me ask you a few questions before I close this down. Why not have light shows? Why not have rock bands? In the worship of God. Why not? That's what many Christians ask themselves. And yet, we see that in a, in a couple passages of Scripture, in Colossians and in, other, in Ephesians, that we are to worship God, uh, and we are to, uh, to sing, and to make a joyful noise with our voice. God commands singing. They had instruments in those days. It's not like they invented them in the last 100, 200 years. They had instruments. That's not what God asked for. God asked us to sing. And so why do churches and denominations find the need in order to install light shows or rock bands? Because of mankind. You see, because it's because of the benefit, not for God, it's the benefit of man for their desire, for what they want. Why not have feel-good stories and jokes that make up much of the sermon instead of a scripture-heavy sermon? Because man benefit, it's for man's benefit and not God's. You see, many of these mega churches, they'll make you feel really good about yourself. They'll tell you how great you are. Very rarely will they ever step on somebody's toes because that doesn't bring people back sometimes. Instead, they'll tell you what you want to hear. They'll tell you how great you are. They'll tell you how God loves you. And that, did you know that there's even churches now that are saying that hell doesn't exist? Did you know that there's denominations in Christianity that are starting to just do away with the whole hell thing? What, what purpose, then, would there be for you to repent? 
If I don't have, if I'm not in danger of any judgment, I'm not in danger of hell, why would I want to repent? I'm going to do whatever I want at that point. You see, brethren, you look at this, these things here this morning. Why not have the Lord's Supper? Uh, why not have the Lord's Supper every week? I say that because some churches, some denominations, they'll have it once a month. Some of them might do it twice a month. Some of them do it once a quarter. Some of them only do it a couple times a year. So why not have uh, the Lord's Supper every week? For expediency. Man's benefit, not desires. It's not convenient to have the Lord's Supper every week. Notice how they, don't, notice they take a collection up every week, but they don't do the Lord's Supper every week. Man's benefit, not God's. Why keep worship to an exactly an hour? Expediency. Man's benefit, not God's desire. If you, did a, if you did a study on the history of the church, and you went back to the early saints and the early worship, it was an all-day affair. It wasn't 45 minutes. It wasn't 55 minutes. It wasn't an hour and 10 minutes. It was an all-day affair. And it was, it was the, that's what it, the Lord's Day, as Lewis just said. And yet, we try to pack it all in there in an hour, and heaven forbid the preacher goes a little bit long. Brothers and sisters, why is that mindset there? Expediency. Man's benefit, not God's. Why not sprinkle or pour for baptism versus immersion? Expediency. Man's benefit, not God's. Why? Because it takes too long to wait for somebody to go get unchained, go get undressed, and then they gotta put on the gown, and then they gotta get in the water, and then they gotta get undressed, they gotta get dressed again. It took too long. And so you know what they did? They changed it to sprinkling, they changed it to pouring. That's history. That's what happened. Expediency. Man's benefit, not God's. You see, brethren, if you look at much what happens in the Christian dumb, Christian denominationalism, and even in the Lord's church these days, as many are going apostate, it's for expedience reasons. It's for man's reasons. It's for what man's desires are, not God's. So if you, if you have ever left here in worship, and I'm going to close it with this. If you have ever left the worship service, and I have heard Christians say this, these, I have heard Christians utter these words. <clears throat> I really didn't get anything out of worship today. If you ever uttered those words, you weren't here for God. You were here for yourself. You didn't worship God. Because God is the only member of this audience. There's an audience of one, and we are all active members of worship. And so we need to remember, if you didn't get something out of worship, it wasn't because of the worship service. It was because you were going through the motions. You were fulfilling an obligation. You didn't worship God with the right heart condition, the right spirit, the right attitude. God-appointed worship demands spiritual focus. And God-appointed worship demands certain actions be done, and those actions can be found in the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, as we close this lesson down, if there's anybody here to, uh, today and you need the prayers of the church, please let us know how we can pray for you. If you've been away from the church for some time and your desire is to be restored, we can do that this morning. If, you're, if your desire is to become a member of the Lord's church, like, like Alan and Alex have just done in the past week, Brethren, you can come forward this morning. You go down, we'll bury the old man of sin, the old woman of sin, and you'll be raised up in newness of life. Your sins will be washed away. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to reside, to dwell within you, and God himself will add you to the kingdom. If you're interested, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation. <laughs>